I want to give you some stats. Everybody likes statistics, right? These are good. These are good. In the year 2022, from this church, either via sermon uh, audio uh, or YouTube, other sermon audio, I believe this one is, right, Patrick? In the USA, so far this year, we've had 947 downloads. 130, the top three, 134 went to Oregon, 115 went to California, and 89 went to Virginia. Now, that's just the top three of people that are accessing the, the messages and worship service uh, from this church. Worldwide, worldwide, there have been 1,430 downloads, top three, Singapore, the UK, and Spain. Accumulative, since we started streaming our services and, and posting the sermons online, the messages and our services, there has been over 20,000 downloads. YouTube has had over 10,000 views with 92 subscribers full-time. Folks, we're reaching the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's because this church is so faithful to give and support because be it as it is, it technology costs money, but we have invested in technology and I believe this is evidence that we have invested wisely to get the gospel to as many people as possible. So thank you for, for your support of the church. And, and sometimes, even I, I'll admit, even I would say, are we really making a difference? Are we really making a difference? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes. The gospel is being heard around the world from a little old congregation in Overbrook, Kansas. Praise God. Praise God for his faithfulness and his power to do what he desires to do. Great worship this morning. Great worship. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, congregation, uh, for making that a time of joy and celebration. Now I would like to pause and pray. Let's bow our heads together, please. Father, you are a great and awesome there is none like you, none that even come close to your majesty, your glory, your might, and your power. We thank you for the great and indescribable gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, ascended, seated in his rightful place of glory at your right hand. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who enables us to know you through your Son, brings to us the new birth, the regeneration, bringing that which is dead in sins to a brilliant and glorious life that will last forever. 
And Father, we pray now for those who are hurting. We have family members who have lost loved ones. But Father, in each case, we also celebrate in these recent passings that they have stepped right in to the fullness of your glory. And we can only imagine at this point what that must be like. But I am fully confident of this. They would not want to come back. To be where you are is the hope of glory for every believer. But we ask for the comforter to go to those who mourn, those who are sorrowful. Father, I thank you for this church, the body of Christ. And I pray that today we will bring glory and honor to your name. And as always, Father, please restrict me. Don't allow me to get in the way of what you want to do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are continuing our series that uh, Adam opened us up with last week at an overview of prayer. Great message. And we are going to be looking at the first recorded prayer of our Savior, and it's a prayer that he prayed so that we would know how to pray. How about that? The prayers of Jesus, a big note there, these are the recorded prayers of Jesus that we'll be going through. Now, Scripture mentions other times Jesus went out to pray, but we don't have those recorded. So we will conclude that Jesus prayed a lot. And, of course, the mystery that I will face right up front, and I think we all would wonder at some point, how does this thing work between the Son and the Father? <laughs> how does this prayer work? Well, I don't know all the deep mysteries I do know that they are true. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit making up the triune God. I know that it's true. I know they are one manifested in three persons. I know all of that and believe it with all of my heart. By the way, that's fundamental to our faith. It is foundational to our faith that we believe that. But if the Son of God, being God, very God in all of his deity, still had to spend time with the Father, then what about us? What about us? How desperately we must need prayer life. Spending time with God. Today's message will be in two parts. Four-point overview and five principles of praying. Don't let that scare you. We're going to jump right into it right now. If you would please stand, if you are able. At the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, going from verse 5 to verse 15. And Jesus says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, 
close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and when you are praying do not use meaningless repetition as the gentiles do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words so do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him verse 9 pray then in this way our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Father, we ask, please, that you add your blessing to the reading of the word to empower it. That it may penetrate into the deepest parts of our heart, mind, and soul that we would capture these powerful, life-changing truths. Make us into the people that you want us to be, Father. For your glory and honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I believe it's critical to understand the groundwork that Jesus establishes before examining the content of the prayer itself. The foundation of our prayer Uh, Our prayer lives uh, seems to point heavily towards humility as we come to the Lord in prayer. It is a condition of our hearts. I had mentioned by way of introduction a four-point overview, and so we'll begin that right now with this simple statement. We must pray in secret before we pray in public. What do we mean by that? If you do not have an established, disciplined, private prayer life, then don't show off in public. That's what Jesus basically says about the hypocrites. It is not wrong to pray in public. Jesus prayed in public. We have public prayers recorded throughout Scripture. It's good and proper to pray in the public assembly, to pray when we're asking God's blessing on our food and provisions, or literally seeking God's help. It's okay to pray in public. But God, I think Christ is telling us, sometimes it's the really big stuff that happens in the private moment. When there's nobody else around. Just you, just me, and God. And so Jesus is really just basically, I think, encouraging us to have a well-disciplined prayer life. And to spend time with God. Spend time with our Father. Secondly, our prayers must be sincere. Not just throwing things up to God. We must pray sincerely. This, this, this talk uh, that Jesus mentioned, vain repetition. He's not saying that praying for something repeatedly is wrong. It's when prayer becomes just a rote, remember, a rote speech, a, a, a mantra or something like that. And, and, and it just it becomes dull, lifeless, without meaning, without sincerity. 
I thought, you know, uh, throwing things up. Uh, uh, how many of you throw spaghetti at the wall? Nobody. Now that shocks me. Sherry, do you throw spaghetti? No, somebody over there raised their hand. All the- <laughs> Don't you know that's the way to know if spaghetti's done or not? If you throw spaghetti at the wall, it sticks if it's done. Come out to our place. One of these days, I'll peel all the spaghetti off the wall. <laughs> Every time we have spaghetti, I throw it at the wall. It's still there. <laughs> no. Well, sometimes our prayer life kind of turns into the spaghetti throw. We'll just throw something up there, see if it sticks. No. Sincerity. Sorry, guys, if you're visiting, this is as spiritual as it gets. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, I hope not. Sincerity in our prayers. A prayer is, is a time of communing, sweet fellowship with our Father in heaven. Thirdly, we must pray in God's will. Praying in the will of God is essential to effective praying, verses 9 through 13. That's really what that is all about. And the content of the Lord's Prayer itself is is praying that the will of God would be done. The purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name, to ask Him to accomplish His will on earth. This prayer begins with God's interest. Do you see that? Not ours, His Robert Law said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. We have no right to ask God for anything that will dishonor his name, delay his kingdom, or disturb his will here on this earth. We have no right to ask for anything that would do those three things. And finally, don't even try to pray if there is unforgiveness in your heart. And we're going to return to this at the conclusion of our message today. We must pray having a forgiving spirit towards others. Let's move into the text this morning. Five principles found in this model prayer. It is also important to note that Luke gives us an intro into this same prayer. And in Luke 11, 1, he says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And what I would like us to do is take a moment to pause and think about the prayer within the prayer. The first part of the prayer is, Lord, teach us to pray. How many of you thought about that? That's the first request. Lord, teach us to pray. First of all, let's look at the personal principle of prayer. The personal principle. Our prayer life is relational. That's the whole design of the Christian community. 
being related to the Father through the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, being adopted into the family of God, and then celebrating that relational life with other believers, the family of God. This ought to resonate in our hearts as we go to prayer. Remember, this is personal, but we are part of a larger family. And if you look at the model prayer that Christ gives us, there are no singular pronouns in the prayer. It's always our, us, we, our, us. Isn't that amazing? Nowhere in there does it say, I want, I need, please give me. It's all of us inclusive. We have no right to ask for anything for ourselves that would harm or hinder another member of the family of God. So if God gave me that new truck that I need, it may cause a guy with an old truck to stumble. I get it. So get over it so I can have my new truck. No. But do you see the the principle there? That we are part of something larger than ourselves, folks. And, And even in our prayer life, we should ask for nothing that would hinder our relationships with other believers. It ought to bring, number one, glory to God and edification for the body. Whatever we pray for. Have you ever thought about that? This is so much bigger than than just me. He is our Father, and He is my Father. The psalmist says, sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before Him, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in His holy habitation. I love that psalm. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And the famous verse from Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, the Lord is our everlasting father. Brothers and sisters, that's precious. That's precious. Only a born-again believer can call God their father because to be his child, you must be adopted into his family through the new birth. Repentance, confession, regeneration, justification, sanctification, adoption. Welcome to the family of God. So the personal principle. Secondly, there is the preeminent principle. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. There must be reverence in our prayers. Familiarity does not mean lack of reverence. God is our Father. He is our Daddy, but He is holy above all. And that demands reverence when we approach the throne of grace. We approach God with reverence and respect, worship and adoration, recognizing the holiness of God our Father. Reverence rises above respect and puts us humbly on our knees as we draw near to God. 
I love the Isaiah 6 passage when he had a personal encounter with the living God. Allow me to read the first seven verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you something. When we behold the glory of God in however degree or whatever degree he decides to reveal that to us, it will put our sin in perspective. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Hallelujah! Reverence is the catalyst for the recognition of our own sinfulness as we are confronted with God's holiness and purity. Recognizing the preeminence of God compels us to pursue righteousness and righteous living, submitting to the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing into us into the fullness of life that Christ had promised us. Number three, third principle, the providential principle of prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This could also be called a priority principle. I prefer providential. It is the relentless pursuit of God himself. And I think this is a a, a critical point for us to get a hold of. Prayer should not be the pursuit of something. It should not be the pursuit of something or even our own personal need Prayer in and of itself is the pursuit of the heart and mind of God. It's powerful, folks. It's life-giving when we understand that we have this personal relationship with the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things, and he made me. He knows me way better than I know myself. He knows me more than I will ever know myself, and he loves me in spite of myself. And I need to pursue him. God, I want to know your heart. God, I want to know your will. God, I want to know your mind to the degree that a finite human can lay hold of those profound truths. Amen. God, I want to know you. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Paul said, I want to know Christ and him crucified. Becoming like him in his death. Wow. The providential principle. This is the battleground of our prayer life. We cannot sincerely ask 
for thy kingdom come until we're ready to proclaim my kingdom go. We cannot say thy will be done until we proclaim my will be gone. Amen. At the height of his popularity, John the Baptist recognized an essential truth in regarding Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. The Apostle Paul also recognized the preeminent principle. Even John in his recorded gospel, chapter 3, says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. And Jesus prayed in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The providential principle of our prayer life proclaims this. Jesus is Lord of all. And if Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. Are you with me? I guarantee you, by the authority of the Word of God, that He is Lord of all, Lord over all. Providential principle leads to point number four, the provisional principle of prayer. And this is where it gets down into our daily living. In verses 11 and 12, give us this day, our day. Notice the plurals. Not give me, give me, give me, give me. That's a modern cultural thing. Gimme, 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 gimme. Give us your family. God, I'm I'm part of a I'm part of a big family. I got lots of brothers and sisters. I got I got lots of kinfolk. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, this is, this is trusting in the reliability of the provider. We must look to the Father for everything, from food to forgiveness. I want to turn a passage that I was reading this morning, and, and, and it's Luke's account of this same event, but I want to read from Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? I love the way Jesus challenges our understanding with a question. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Ask for the important things. Ask for the important things. God's not going to respond with nonsense. The provisional prayer means that God will take care of our daily needs. Oh, God, don't give me a week's worth of food. Oh, God, don't give me whatever. 
that will last a lifetime. That's that's just that's salvation. That's he promised that forever. But you see, faith says, God, I am satisfied with the manna I have today. And if I try to gather too much, it's probably going to rot and get stale anyway. Didn't that happen once? It's not God, please give me a month's worth of bread. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, my family, trust him for today and he will take care of all your tomorrows. Trust him for today. And tomorrow is going to be just fine. But you don't understand, preacher, I work hard to make a living, to earn enough to take care of my family. Well, I want you to know, brother or sister, the job you have is a gift from God. And the skills to do it is a gift from God. So it's still God's. All the provision belongs to the Lord. And God, forgive me my sins as I continue to hold unforgiveness against others. No. Cruel, cruel misstatement of Scripture. Whether you read debts or trespasses, it is the same. I I really kind of prefer debt because it better describes what we owe. A sin debt that we can never pay. We can never pay. This is the debt of sin that I bear and could never pay. The debt that Christ paid for me. The judgment I deserved. The punishment I deserved. The death I deserved. That's how great our sin debt is. And Christ paid it all. Paid it all. Connie and I were having lunch here a week or so back. And and uh, down here at TJ's and just kind of enjoying a, a good old hamburger. And, and uh, went up to, to pay. And I didn't know anything. I'll never know, and rightly so. I'll never know who paid my debt. But they, did pay, they paid a debt. They didn't know. They paid a debt. They didn't know. I hope it was out of love and not pity. But <laughs> I'm sure it was out of love. But you see, I'll never know. But that's an expression of love. One small act of kindness meant so much to Connie and I. How much more to know the one who paid my greatest debt. How much more to know the one who gave his life so that I could have life. How much more. Now you tell me how anyone who really understands this truth can hold unforgiveness in their hearts toward another believer. I can't see it. I cannot see it. If you are living right now with unforgiveness in your heart and you do not understand at all the grace of God that has been extended to you, Even the writer of Ephesians, Paul, says, forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. Finally, the power principle. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the recognition of the king. The recognition of the king. 
This is the heart of kingdom praying, and that's been one of the, uh, the emphasis of this is the, the prayers of the king and showing us how to pray kingdom prayers. The power of God to lead us and preserve us, to deliver us from the person and the powers of darkness. In Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Listen, I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. Satan is not afraid of willy-nilly prayers. But you bring in the name of Jesus and you talk about the blood of Christ that has washed away our sins and the devil will tremble. Don't try to overtake him in your own power and strength. Christ has already done that. Rest in the finished work of Christ. We lift high the name of Jesus and proclaim the majesty and glory and honor and hell will tremble. When we declare and proclaim that Jesus is Lord of and over all, Satan feels the pain of defeat. Prayer is a spiritual battle and combined with the word of God, our greatest spiritual weapon. Prayer is not about moving the hand of God. It's about positioning ourselves in his hands when he moves. Prayer prepares us for the answer that's on its way. And now in conclusion, the dreaded appendix to this prayer. And I'm not talking about that dangly thing on the end of your large intestine. Just see it if you're awake. (laughs) The provisional principle that we discussed in verse 12 is clearly so important that Jesus goes into a supplementary explanation of the priority and necessity of forgiveness. Could I have those verses on the screen, please? For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You see, in talking about relationship, this is critical to our understanding of this passage. A repentant, truly repentant sinner has been forgiven in order to establish a relationship with God. And a truly repentant sinner praying a prayer of repentance and confession will truly be forgiven and adopted into the family by justification and sanctification. But there is something else involved in this prayer. It's called fellowship. We can have a solid, forever sealed relationship with the Father, but there can be problems in our fellowship with the Father. Does that make sense? I don't want to lose anybody on this. If you are a born-again believer, your sins are forgiven for the security of a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. But if you are bearing unforgiveness towards another believer, your fellowship is seriously impaired. And I believe that's what the passage is referring to. 
Folks, I've, I have, uh, well, I, I won't even say I know a lot. I've been there of a follower of Jesus Christ out of the will of God. Now, you may not want to hold a hand to this one, but I will. I have been out of the will of God as a child of God. And it was part, uh, at least, uh, it, no, it was some of the most miserable times of my life. Being a child of God out of the will of God. And that's what caring bitterness does to any believer. Number one, you're out of the will of God. To carry unforgiveness against another believer. You're out of the will of God, period. And in violation of the word of God. And then to be so lackadaisy with forgiveness and the, and the conviction ought to just come on us, and it has. Look, I want to tell you something. There are some people that I really want to be mad at. There are some people that I really don't want to forgive, but God won't let me. And boy, that frustrates me. Amen? Come on, is anybody out there out there human? I can always count on Alan. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, right. That was JD. Well, quit sitting next to Alan. <laughs> but folks, isn't it true? Do you know somebody that you'd really like to just hold unforgiveness against and the Lord just won't let you? Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's a beautiful thing. Because, you know, God knows that's the only way we're going to be free. Unforgiveness is a chain that binds us. And God said, I want my people to be free. Jesus said, I want my people to be free. Get rid of unforgiveness and be free. Be free. And by the way, you're not going to get a list of names from me. <laughs> Folks, as we close today, we've had a little fun, and that's good. But I hope also we have been confronted as I have been. That's another thing. I always want to share my conviction. But I hope God has spoke to you in a way at least similar to how he has spoken to me. This, going through this prayer again has been eye-opening to me. And I, I can't even explain it. It's just a Holy Spirit thing. But as I went through this prayer, I, I, it was so clear of what, to me of what Christ was trying to teach me. And the principles, as, as the prayer is, is, is set forth, Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, pray in this way. It's a model. Now, I think it's good that we know the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, if you want to refer to it that way. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, by the way. We'll get there later. It's good to re repeat this prayer. But let's do it cautiously and reverently. But it's also the perfect model for all prayers. All prayers. And I think that's the key. 
is looking at it from that perspective. But it all begins with these words. Our Father, who is in heaven. That can only be spoken by someone who has been born again. That only has meaning to someone who has been born into the family of God. And if you have never been born again by the Spirit of God, if you have never confessed that you are a sinner forever separated from a holy and righteous God and confess that your only hope, only hope, is finding forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, listen to me carefully. God is not your father yet. He's not your father yet because that demands family relationship. Family relationship. If you don't know God as your father, then please come to him this morning through Jesus Christ, his son. Father, we thank you for this gathering of people today. We thank you for your family. Thank you for the encouragement that we bring to each other as we fellowship and as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing. What a perfect plan you have established. Thank you that I have the privilege of being called a child of God to know that I didn't earn it and couldn't even keep it, but by your grace and your mercy. Thank you for that hope that we share this morning. For all eternity, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we have our song of invitation. I'd like us to consider this morning, one would be your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, would be your personal fellowship with God the Father. Relationship and fellowship. Are you peacefully resting in both?